everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Parsha podcast, where we spend about 30 minutes discussing deep thematic points about the Parsha. Our series on Tvarim is titled Dor Sheikh, Messages for a Lifetime. Each episode explores Moshe's educational message for the Jewish people as they prepare to enter the land of Israel. Each week's guest will be someone who herself has learned at Matan and is now passing these educational messages to the next generation of Torah students. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office by telephone or email us at podcast at matan.org.il. These sponsorships enable us to keep creating new content. So if you've deliberated until now, please don't hesitate to be in touch. This week's Parsha, Hazinu, is in essence Moshe's swan song. We're told at the end of Vayelech that Moshe puts the words of this song, Hashira Hazot, in the ears of the people. Our Parsha ends with Moshe Rabbeinu being given a gift. While the mountain that he is commended to ascend is the one on which he will die, God allows him to see the land of Israel, the land that he's not allowed to enter. Today's guest is Dr. Ariella Agatstein. Ariella was a graduate of the third cohort of the Matan Bellows Eshkelot program, and today is the director of the Eshkelot Professional Development Fellowship. Ariella, it's great to have you here with us. Thank you so much, Rivi. It is really a pleasure to be here and to be able to share these words of Torah and learn with you as part of Matan. So the end of this week's Parsha is really sad, right? Moshe Rabbeinu is not able to enter the land. And on the one hand, Hashem's giving him this gift of saying, look, at least you'll get to see it. But we end on this very almost mourning uh, of feeling Moshe Rabbeinu's sadness. In fact, when I was in 11th grade, the teacher that I had who taught this to me, Mrs. Tights, would cry. And the emotions that she would have were so genuine. It wasn't that she was putting on a show. She, she felt the sadness of Moshe Rabbeinu not being able to go into Eretz Yisrael. And yet, Moshe is not the only one who gets a gift in this week's Parsha. We get this gift of of Moshe Rabbeinu's last song, of his last words to us, to the generations, to the Jewish people, who are going to go on and do what he so desperately wants to do. And as opposed to being bitter and saying, I'm not going in, he has this moment of sharing inspiration with us for the generations. And there are 70 lines in this song of poetry. And I almost view it like the 70s of Canaan, right? We see this number of 70 and wisdom and getting to the age of 70 is that that age of, of, of exactly that, of wisdom. And I'm wondering if you could jump in here and share a little bit about what you see as an educator and as somebody who teaches educators what Moshe is doing educationally here with this wisdom he wants to impart in this form or this modality that's different than the rest of the safer. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. You know, what's first of all, you're you're completely right. This is really that last piece of the speech. Right before he blesses the different Shvatim, this is Moshe Rabbeinu really focusing Am Yisrael's attention on the wisdom that he wants to impart. And like you said, there's so many pieces in here, so many pedagogical tools that I noticed. It's not a theme per se within this Shira, but 
there are so many pieces I will point out along the way, but one thing that I think is really important to note is that Moshe Rabbeinu turns this into a song. And when we think about the way that song sort of plays itself out in terms of its relationship to culture, there are so many cultures that they memorize their history or historical, you know, memories through song. And, you know, even in the classroom itself, so often teachers will use song, again, as a pedagogical tool to help students remember things better. And in general, songs are meant to be sung as a group, right? Typically, someone doesn't sing a song by themselves, although it does happen once in a while, right? But songs are meant to be sung in groups. And this song that Moshe Rabbeinu was given, he wants them to sing not just right there before his death, but throughout all future generations. So the question really is for us, what's in this song? What's going on? Why is Moshe Rabbeinu putting this into a song? What's so important that he's taking the last part of his speech and putting it in this type of modality? It's really interesting. As somebody who's very musical myself, I love music. And I remember so much about Judaism and Psukim from music. And I have a hard time connecting to Ha'azinu because we don't usually, like we think about it maybe as a poem Poem. and as Mm -hmm. a song. Um, And I know that for myself until I did my master's where I had this incredible poetry teacher who she she wasn't even a a religious person, but she changed the way that I see Torah because she taught me to appreciate poetry. So I'm wondering if I think for a lot of us, we read through this and it's like, it's okay, it's a different format, but it doesn't hit as hard as maybe some of the songs that that we learned as children. And I'm wondering if you can maybe shed your own like inspiration that you see on some of the psukim and kind of help us understand how the structure brings that in. For sure. Well, one thing, you know, the the song really begins with, you know, in, in pedagogical terms, we would sort of call it like the hook, the anticipatory set. Moshe Rabbeinu is drawing us in with Ha'azinu Hashemayim Va'adabeira, right? So he's asking, um, he says, listen, heavens, and I will speak. The earth should hear the words of my mouth. He's right away, he's telling us the heavens and the earth should listen. Meaning, wow, if you're telling the heavens and earth to listen, something important is about to happen, right? So as we're going through this, I think, number one, there's so much inspiration. Shirat Hazinu is one of my favorite in all of the Torah because every, like you said, there's poetry, but each Pasuk is so purposefully written, the language, the allusions that are used, that there's so much wisdom to be gleaned here. And really, Chazal asked the question, why does it begin with the word Ha'azinu? Ha'azinu is not the typical language of what listening, right? The, the, the shoresh, the lashon of listening to the Torah. Usually the lashon is lishmoa. What is ha'azana? What does it mean ha'azinu? Rav Hirsch explains that the word ha'azin really means for a person to lean in and to hear with purpose. It's not to right? If someone's talking, you could be hearing them, right? Physically, your ear is processing sound. But ha'azana is taking in, right? We're meant to really lean forward, lean our ears in, and really take in the wisdom that Moshe Rabbeinu was about to impart. It happens to be interesting as a side thing, just the word, you know, the shores, ozen, right? One thing I, I love, you know, etymology. Rav Hirsch, the reason I'm going to keep bringing him in over the course of um, Shirat Azinu is because his parish on the Torah is so incredibly based on etymology. And this shear, it's like perfect. It's like the perfect shidduch here. <laughs> 
So la'azin is really listening with intent, listening with almost in yourself with having balance. It means taking in what you're hearing, thinking about it in your mind, right? Processing it on a deep way. What's so interesting is that maznaim, the same shoresh, is the Hebrew word for balance. Ozen has the same shoresh and it's ear. And what's the part of our body in charge of balance? Our inner ear. Yeah. So I just love, I love how shoreshim all play into each other. Anyway, so I was very excited about this. La'azim. He's really drawing us in. And then the shear continues in Hasagbet. Moshe continues to draw us in, and Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher. So we're going to see some more of that those pedagogical tools. Ya'aruf kamatar likhi tizal katal imati ksiirim ale desha kiruchirivim ale esef. May my lessons come down as the rain, my speech flow as the dew, like showers on young growth, like droplets on the grass. This is so poetic for Moshe Rabbeinu, right? This is such a unique type of Pasuk to find in the Torah. Other than like, let's say Shiratayam, this is very unique. My background is all in education. I spent my whole life teaching. I was the head of my department. I was on the leadership team. I eventually became a principal, a vice principal in Los Angeles, California. And before the school year began, every year we would have in-service days. And this was one, you know, every year we... The, the, the principals, different people would try to share some words of inspiration with the other educators. And this is one of my most favorite in terms of our understanding of differentiated instruction. And I'll explain what I mean. In this Pasuk, Moshe Rabbeinu is, is trying to, he's saying, may my lessons come down as rain. And, you know, Rabbi Sachs, uh, it, he actually quotes the Sifre, a very beautiful Sifre on this Pasuk where Moshe Rabbeinu is comparing his words to dew, to rain, coming down on plants. And the Sifri says, Ma si'irim halalu yordim al ha'asavim uma'alim otam, v'yesh bahem yurukim, v'yesh bahem adumim, v'yesh bahem shchorim, kach divrei Torah. Yesh bahem rabbanim, yesh bahem sherim, yesh bahem chachamim, yesh bahem tzadikim, v'yesh bahem chasidim. The Sifri is saying that just like rain comes down on so many different types of plants, whether it's red, whether it's black, whether it's green, so too the words of Torah. When we share Torah, our audience, the same words of Torah, right? It can be absorbed by, could be a rabbi, it could be a person who is an upstanding citizen, a chacham, right? A wise person, a tzaddik. There's all different types of Jews. And us as educators, it's our job to recognize that our students are not the same, that the same pasuk, the same teaching, just like rain coming down on different plants, each one of our students, each one of our children is like a different plant. And this concept, this idea, having many different types of students is one which is repeated in Tanakh and in Torah. There's a famous Mishnah in Sanhedrin, and it says, When a human being makes coins, right, he makes them from the same mint. And each coin he intends on making exactly the same. Right? God makes everyone in the same image, right? In Hashem's image, yet none is the same as another. And I think that as an educator, Moshe Rabbeinu, by the way, is starting off again with this pedagogical tool that we're supposed to remember as educators and as parents, that as we're giving over Torah, yes, Torah is like rain. It's like dew. It's sustaining. It's refreshing. It's nurturing. But we have to be aware that one pasuk might be one student in one way and one student in another way. And as educators and parents, we have to ask ourselves, how do we make sure that no one falls 
between the cracks? How do we make sure that we're reaching, for example, the most academic student and the least academic student, the right, who might be the most creative person in the whole class? But how do we make sure to reach everyone? And Moshe's in this Pasuk is also sort of giving a tefillah, Hashem, let it be as effective as rain is on plants, able to sustain all sorts of plants. Let my inspiration go, go forth in this way. From Pasuk Dalid until Pasuk Mem Gimel, Moshe is giving over this song. What, in essence, is this song about? So in the previous parak, there's actually a little Pasuk at the very end of the parak that tells us that when the Jewish people in the future sin and they ask themselves, why is Hashem punishing us? The answer to that is this song. This song is meant to speak to us throughout the generations because inevitably the Jewish people will sin. But this song is meant to sort of be the anecdote, their answer, their philosophical understanding of context. Why is this taking place? So at the very beginning, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is starting off and he's saying, God is perfect. Hashem is flawless, right? So what's the real issue? Who's to blame when Puranut, when calamity happens? And the answer is it's Am Yisrael. And that's the first three psukim, Dalit He and Vav. And then psukim Zayim Tiyud Bet. We're asked to look back and remember. Ask your elders, ask your father, look at, back at your history, learn from what has happened in the past. Every time that you have gotten too comfortable and then you have sinned and then Hashem has sent punishment and then you've done teshuva, like Am Yisrael, please make sure that throughout the generations you're looking back and you're learning. And then Psukim Yud Gimel Tetet Vav, he's now talking about what's going to happen in the future. You're about to enter Eretz Yisrael. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to be affluent. And I'm warning you. This is what is going to happen. It's going to feel nice and cushy. And you're going to be winning over your nation, you know, the other nations and your enemies. And you know, you may go ahead and because of that affluence and sense of being comfortable, you worship essentially the forces of nature that you believe are giving you the affluence. You're worshiping the sun. You're worshiping the rain. Who's giving you that, that success? It's me. It's Hashem. But once again, Hashem's wrath is going to be kindled, Psukim Yudtet to and then Psukim Chafav to Lamerchet. Once again, B'nai Yisrael, you'll do Teshuva. Hashem will save you. And finally, at the very end of the Perak, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them, please make sure that you are reflecting on this. It is so important, this piece, and understand Hashem has been there all along. And I think it's important that we note that this message from Moshe Rabbeinu is how we are supposed to relate to our history as a nation, right? When sometimes Hashem sends us hardship, tamid, always we're supposed to look inward and reflect. Is there a place to do some tshuva, right? And, and on a national level, this is a national message. As opposed to a person thinking that every time something happened in their life and, oh my gosh, you know, I fell on the street, a God must be, you know, it's a bolt of lightning, God is punishing me right now. I mean, there are many reasons why hardships happen in our lives. Um, and on an individual level, we don't always know the reason. And on a national level, we also don't always know the reason. But it's always, the right approach is always to look inward and say, as a nation, can we be doing better? And I think that's Moshe Rabbeinu's approach in terms of the future of our history as well. And I think part of the strength of Moshe Rabbeinu's message is that even in the ups and downs, even when we're looking at this particular model of 
bad things happening as punishment, that God is always with us, right? That Moshe Rabbeinu is, is reminding us, and he's done this throughout Devarim, that you're going to think that Hashem has left you and he hasn't. And you're going to think that where is God? And I, I think about it often when we talk about the parallels between Moshe and David, that they're the two people in Torah that we that we talk about as Yashir, and then they sang. And that we say that like the five books of Moshe, the five books of Tehillim, bottom to the, the top down and bottom up, is that in the center of Tehillim is this darkness of Hashem, why have you left me? Lama Zavtani, like, where are you? And Moshe Rabbeinu was almost answering that question for us through history of even when you're being punished, even when it's dark, Hashem is still always there with you as a constant. A hundred percent. And by the way, Rivi, the first, I would say, real Pasuk of this Shira, right? As in Pasuk Dalet, we said the first three Psukim are really that introduction. He starts off with the word Sur. He says, Hatsur tamim pa'alo. He refers to Hashem as Hatsur, the rock. He starts off with the word Hatsur, the rock. Tamim Palo, whose deeds are perfect because all of God's ways are just. Hashem is a faithful God, never false, true and upright is He. And what's really fascinating is that this word Sur is sort of the first of two themes that I want to shed light on in this Shira. The word sur, to your point, being this rock, being this constant, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, is a major theme here. God is always there, even in that darkness. And the word sur appears eight times in this Shira, and it only appears 12 times in the entire Torah. And by the way, in Tanakh, 10% of the times that the word Zur appears is in this parak. So it's clearly a major theme. And I'll just give you a couple more examples in this Shira. Later on in the parak, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Vaitosh eloka asahu vainabel which means, and the Jewish people spurned the rock of their support. The Jewish people rejected the rock of their support. Again, referring to Hashem as Zur as rock. Even later on, right? Tsur yiladcha teshi. You neglected the rock who gave birth to you, who begot you, who conceived you. Again, referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu over and over as this tsur. So what is a tsur? And I really want to kind of shed light on this based on, again, Rav Hirsch. The word tsur, says Rav Hirsch, is something which is firm and strong and immutable. And he quotes the Sifre as really ascribing two meanings to this word. The first one is comes from the Lashon of Matsur. The word tsur sounds like Matsur, which means laying siege, right? When we think of an army laying siege to a city, it reflects strength. And a rock is something which reflects strength. It doesn't change. It is strong. It is hard. Its materials can break through almost anything. And the second translation or meaning brought about through the Sifre is the idea of a tsayar, again, sharing this same shoresh root as tsur. And a tsayar is something which shapes something else, meaning it's a hardness, as Rev Hirsch says in German, but I'll translate, right? A hardness that overcomes other materials. And so really Hashem is the strength. He's this force of strength, but he's also something that shapes. And I think 
that as a person, as a nation, I should say, is going through hardship, realizing A, that Hashem is something that they can lean on even in that darkness, that Hashem is always there to your point, Rivi. But I think the other piece of Hashem being a tsayar, Hashem shaping us, and knowing that even at times when nationally we feel like, what's going on with us? Seeing Hashem as someone that's trying to shape us and teach us and mold us and, and forge us is something that can give us a lot of strength. Yeah, we have no idea what that's like currently about being nationally like what's going on with us that's not something we can relate to no at all. no right but but and i think also just when the jewish people are first hearing this song and they're reflecting on their own history by the way in the desert and they're thinking about all those times when oh my gosh they didn't have water oh my gosh they didn't have food oh my gosh they well didn't have meat slash did have meat but let's not talk about that right now right and they went into this place of panic and i think for me, what's meaningful in this Pasuk is really that Hashem, it really brings about this idea of emuna in Hashem for us nationally and personally of Hashem. Hashem, you're there for me. Hashem, you're perfect and you're there for me. And appreciating that relationship that we can always turn to Hashem. And I think them reflecting on their experiences in the desert and saying, wow, gosh, you know, we always panicked, right? I mean, okay, it was a couple generations ago at this point in the 40th year, but wow, gosh, they, they really panicked all the time. Gosh, wouldn't it have been better just to remember Hashem was the tour all along. I think that when you talk about emuna, often we think about emuna as being this blind faith, and obviously there's always a leap, but I think what the generation of the desert teaches us is that emuna is, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them, emuna is go back on what you know. Every time that you felt like there was a, a, a sea in front of you and Paro was coming, you had God was there for you. And I know that often my students will say to me, well, show me where we know that God is good, or show me where we, you know that God loves me. Tell me where God shows me that. And I think that one of the most loving images that we put on God is that of the relationship between parent and a child. And I think that Moshe highlights that a lot in Ha'azinu. And I, I wonder if perhaps you might be able to show us that in some of the psukim, and you're talking about all of the like Mila Mancha and all of these different themes throughout Ha'azinu. And maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, the relationship between father and child, parent and child is mentioned over and over again. What a loving theme. What a loving approach that Moshe, Pasuk, hey, great, great example. Corruption is not his, rather, Banav, his children, referring to Am Yisrael, right? Theirs is the fault, right? When the Jewish people, right, when they're freaking out, oh gosh, bad things are happening. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, guys, it's your fault. Hashem's not doing this to be a vengeful God. Pasuk Zion, another great example. This is actually one of my favorite Pesukim in the Torah. There's many favorite Pesukim, but this is one of them. Zechor yimot olam binu shnot dor vador. Remember the days of old. Really consider the years of ages past. Sha'al avicha v'yagedcha zekenecha v'yomru lach. Ask your parents who will inform you, your elders who will tell you. Now, this Pasuk isn't about a Kadesh Baruch Hu, but Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Am Yisrael, 
Yes, your relationship is with Hashem like a child to a parent. But utilize your human parents as well. Ask your father about your history. He will tell you. He will help you contextualize all that you're experiencing because chances are in his lifetime, he saw a very similar thing take place. When you sin, hardships befall you. And not only that, but also ask your elders the relationship between parent and child and or teacher and student is of the utmost importance. And, you know, circling back to that relationship of love. And as we said before, this relationship of Ami Yisrael to Hashem, like a child to a parent, and this idea of this love, Moshe keeps hammering, you know, keeps really emphasizing it over and over again. Pastor Gidolf, another example of this relationship of love, love, love. You want to teach? You want to pass on wisdom? Watch this, right? Kinesher yair kino al gozalav yirachif yifros knafav yikachehu yisaehu al evrato. Like an eagle who rouses its nestlings, gliding down to its young, so did, right, Hashem spread wings and take them and place them, bear them, lift them, I would say is the best way to translate it, lift them on his wings. It's so interesting that you translate it as eagle, because uh, I know that's the classic translation when we think about like nefesh benefesh and the planes are now going to be our mm-hmm. eagles and we're going to come in on these wings and, and especially the Americans, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but Rabbi Slifkin, Nathan Slifkin, but others as well have pointed out that Nesher is actually most likely a vulture. And wow. that natively, we don't have eagles here in Israel in the same way that we have these vultures. The wingspan of a vulture is actually much greater and if you take a look at it was really when the Romans came in that there was a switch between vultures and eagles. If you look on ancient Egyptology, you see the vulture is much more prominent than you see the eagle. And it's not until that Roman standard that we see the eagle mm. come in. And so we have this association of Nesher being an eagle, but it's actually very likely that it was this griffin vulture. You can go to the Golan, to Gamla, and you can see that they're rehabilitating them there. But the way that a vulture carries its young is much more in line with this pasuk than the way that we think about an eagle who carries its young. So it's just an interesting wow, uh, translation that is that. so cool as we wow. learn more about nature and we learn more about um, ancient art and things like that to be able to get exact translations or more precise translations of Torah Psukim like this. I love it that we live in a country where we're able to just connect so much to Torah. You know, zoology, it's just incredible. But this, I'm never going to forget that, Rivi. Excellent. But um, I think, again, in this Pasuk, Moshe Rabbeinu is, again, using, employing the, the pedagogical tool of a mashal to help them understand something going on here. And he's showing the Jewish people, and he does this in a number of places in the Torah, but specifically here, that they are like these young birds going on the wings of their father, who's going to carry them. And that father is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And... You know, Rav Hirsch talks about how what's interesting in this Pasuk is that, yes, the the Savior, so to speak, is Hashem, right? Taking them on these wings and caring for them on his wings and protecting them while they're on his wings. But at the same time, the young ones in this Pasuk, they have to sort of jump on to the back of that eagle slash vulture and how that takes courage and the ability to leave the comfortable situation in your, you know, warm nest and to say, you know what, I'm going to jump jump on my father's back 
And even though we're going to be alone and we'll be in solitude in the sky as we soar through the heavens, I have faith that my father is going to take care of me. And Moshe Rabbeinu is conveying that message of the Jewish people taking that leap. He's referring both to their past, but also to their future of, you know, that concept of again and munah. And I think those two themes, the idea of tzur and the idea of us being a ben, are really the main themes of this shira. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them that as the Jewish people journey into the future, he's reminding them, sing this song. When you gather together, sing it, remember it, memorize it. By the way, Rivi, I was in Mrs. Tights' class. I hope someone is listening that's related to Mrs. Tights, but I had to memorize Shirata Zinu. And yep. I remember her crying at the end of this parak and how powerful that was to watch. But I think that Moshe Rabbeinu is creating this song so that they'll really remind themselves, Hashem is your tzur. Emir to Hashem, you know, our final shira we should sing, praising a Kaddish Baruch Hu. But until then, this shira really keeps us afloat and keeps us connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the ups and the downs. Ariella, this has been a pleasure. Always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rivi, for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do One-on-One and Women's Torah Learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.